0: You're listening to The Riches of His Grace. This is a podcast series about the book of Ephesians. And we're covering the whole book of Ephesians, section by section. And hopefully this is something that you guys can listen to uh, as you go about your day and get some of the Bible into your life. This is something that, there's just something unique about actually studying the Bible for yourself, reading it, seeing the truth, seeing these words, and having to make sense of of them, And uh, I want this to be a tool to help you make sense of the Bible. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to continue in Ephesians uh, with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Just to recap where we've been, Ephesians 1 is the Apostle Paul writing uh, to the church at Ephesus and to surrounding churches. This is likely a letter that was passed around to different churches. And he begins with a blessing to God. He begins with worship to God about all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. That we've been redeemed by his blood. We've been adopted into his family. That God in love predestined us for a glorious inheritance. He has predestined us, meaning he he chose us without any reference to our own goodness. There was nothing in us to merit or attract him to us, that God simply has set his love upon sinners and made them family members and promised them eternal life, life with him, which is the inheritance that he promises all of his children. And we know we have that inheritance because he's given us the down payment of his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in every believer as a sign that we are truly God's people, And that everything that God has promised to us in Christ will come true. And Paul says, I want and I pray for all the churches to increase in their knowledge of this, to have the eyes of their hearts enlightened to the hope that they've been called to. In other words, as a Christian, there's more. There's more that we can know about Christ, more that we can understand about Christ, that can open up our hearts to glorify and worship him more. And then Paul, in the beginning of Ephesians 2, talks about our state before being a Christian, before being in Christ. He says we're enslaved to our sinful passions. We're following the course of this air. We're following the world. We're enslaved to these sinful desires. But God, being rich in mercy, frees us from this sin in Christ. He makes us alive together in Christ. By grace, we've been saved. Saved from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin in our lives. And we see that this is all a gift that we receive by faith. Faith is simply trusting in the promises of God. We turn away from ourselves and we receive the good news of Jesus Christ by trusting that what Jesus did was sufficient to pay for our sins and to forgive us of all of our sins and to change us from the inside out. All of these are a gift of God's goodness. So that's salvation from the standpoint of individuals before God. But here we're going to see what salvation means for reconciliation, not just between individuals and God, but between people groups. So you have to remember, Paul is writing in a particular historical time. Paul is Jewish, right? He's descended from the people who are the blood descendants of Abraham. He is a a particular culture. Uh, He's part of a particular culture and ethnicity right? Judaism is the foundation of Christianity. So that's Paul. But he's also writing to all these Gentiles who are non-Jews. Many of them are Greeks coming from pagan backgrounds, worshiping false idols. And they are now becoming Christians and they're joining the church. So now you have this new community in Christ of Jews who've grown up with the Old Testament, grown up with the dietary laws, grown up going to temple, grown up worshiping God, having the same community as Gentiles who just came from offering meat to uh, in the markets to false gods or to visiting temples to Zeus and Artemis and all of these pagan deities. And now they're all smashed together in the same church. And Paul is trying to explain to them that in order for there to be peace between these two people groups of vastly different cultures and beliefs, now that they've all united in the gospel in the same belief in Christ, divine intervention has become the means through which these two groups can be reconciled. We need divine intervention for there to be unity between these people groups. And that's what we see laid out in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. So I'm gonna read that and just pay attention to the ways that Paul shows how the gospel unites people together. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, In place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What's interesting about this passage is we see a lot of Jewish ethnic identity markers. We learn about circumcision and the law of the commandments and the temple and the apostles and the prophets and Israel and the commonwealth of Israel. All of these Jewish terms are now being applied to Gentiles. This is really key to see. Now, the first thing that we see is there's a call to remember. So Paul is talking to Gentile Christians, and he says, I want you to remember that you were once strangers to the commonwealth of Israel and to the covenants of promise. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Well, he he uses this term. He says, remember Gentiles, you were called the uncircumcision, by the circumcision. So he's saying the circumcision refers to Jews, and they called Gentiles the uncircumcised. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 17, circumcision was a sign that God gave to Abraham to mark out him and his physical bloodline as his people, that God promised a land to, that God promised to be faithful to. And those who were not circumcised were outside of those promises. So if you think about God promised Abraham, you're going to have a land and a people, and those people are going to bless the world. Uh, And he promises to David uh, that there's going to be a king of Israel that's always going to rule over that nation. Uh, He promised to Israel in the Exodus uh, when he gave the Mosaic law. He said that I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and that you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to me. All of these were for the nation, the commonwealth of Israel, and those who were uncircumcised, Gentiles, non-Jews, did not get to access these promises. But notice what Paul says here. He says that though you had no access, now something has happened. You were far off from these promises. You were without God in the world. You had no hope, but now you do have hope. Now you are near. Now you are part of God's promises. Now you are inheritors of God's promises. How? Because you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our peace. Not just peace with God, but peace between these two people. We find in verse 14, Jesus is our peace who has made us both one. So he's taken these Gentiles and Jews who both needed salvation, right? One of the interesting things that Paul emphasizes is that physical circumcision doesn't mean anything unless your heart is circumcised. In other words, you can be externally a member of God's people, but if you're not obedient to him from the heart, you're not really part of God's people. So you could be Jewish and circumcised, but not follow the law, not have a changed heart. And your circumcision doesn't actually matter. It's actually an uncircumcision. You can read Romans 2 to see that further explained. So what he's saying is, look, both Jews and Gentiles are actually in the same position. They both need the circumcision of the heart. And that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. That can only come through God's power by his spirit. Now, going back to Jesus being the peace between Jews and Gentiles, he says he's taking these two distinct cultures and made them one new man. And that new man is the church of Jesus Christ, right? God has reconciled both Jew and Gentile to God. So both Jew and Gentile need salvation. Both of them are sinners under God's wrath. They've both been redeemed to God. And because they've been redeemed to God, they're also as a corollary are redeemed to one another. And it says that that Jews and Gentiles are reconciled through one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And the gospel was preached to those who were far off and those who were near. So the far off refers to Gentiles and the near refers to the Jews. And the gospel was preached to both. So even though you're Jewish and you had the law and you had the temple and had the sacrifices, unless you had faith, unless you had a changed heart, you were still actually outside of God's people, even though you were externally part of God's people. And in the same respect, you could be a Gentile but if your heart is changed, even though you're not physically circumcised, but your heart is circumcised, you are part of the true Israel. You are part of God's true people. And I love how Paul sums up in verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The whole Trinity is involved. Through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, to the Father. That's the way it goes. And think about it this way. You have two ethnic groups with the same Father now, and the same Spirit, and the same Savior. In other words, God Himself is the unifying factor between these two people groups. He Himself is our peace. And the result, verse 19 Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Jew and Gentile, by faith, are part of the same household their fellow citizens of the same kingdom and what is the nature of this kingdom we find out in verse 20 to 22 this kingdom this church is built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets okay so the apostles represent the new testament the prophets represent the old testament so the two covenants the two uh testaments are the foundation of the church And Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the most integral part of a structure. That's what holds everything together. So the church is built on the word of God and ultimately on Jesus Christ himself. And in Christ, this church is being built together, molded together into a holy temple of the Lord. Remember, the temple is where the Jews worshiped for thousands of years. Now, Jesus is saying, actually, that God's Spirit no longer dwells in the physical temple. He dwells in this holy temple of God's people, Jew and Gentile, gathered together. And that's what we see in verse 22, in him we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit dwells in the church of Jews and Gentiles, and that church is the new temple. That's why we don't have to go to the physical temple. We ourselves are the living stones built on the cornerstone of Christ, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's the church, that's the centrality of the church. Christ in a historical achievement by the cross has united two people and created a new society in which God is the foundation. That's the solution. There are all kinds of strife between people groups today. I mean, the whole history of the world is littered between Battles between nations and ethnicities and, and tribes and all of these things. And there is no human hope for that. The only hope is divine intervention that by the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ, not only can sinners be reconciled to God, but sinners can be reconciled to each other. And that has to be central. This is something unique to Christianity. Only Christianity has the power to forgive. Only Christianity, only Jesus Christ has the power by his blood to unite the hatred and hostility that formerly was between two people groups and transform it into love and brotherhood. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Make sure you share it with friends. We'll be back next week with the next part of Ephesians.